I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Tonight we continue our evening series to the Gospel of Matthew by looking at Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. Beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Father and our God, when we contemplate the great love that has been shown to us and revealed to us in the gospel of your Son, we indeed say with the hymn writer that this love demands our life, our all, our everything. And so we pray, Father, that as we hear the gospel proclaimed tonight, that you would work repentance in our hearts, that we might give you all of ourselves, that we might love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we might respond to the love that you've given us in Jesus, the same kind of full love. We pray, Father, that you would do this good work in your people by the power of your spirit, working with your word, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. Beloved, this is the word of God. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed." Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of God. This teaching about the parables is prompted by a question from the disciples. Jesus tells a parable, and then this teaching in parables prompts this question from the disciples. They ask Jesus in private about this form of teaching. So it's most likely that this conversation that we're looking at here about the reason for the parables happened after Jesus got out of the boat and was back on shore. And of course, Matthew resituates it here in the middle of his teaching uh, through parables, but it's most likely that this happened elsewhere in, in private. Matthew just decided to insert this here so that his readers, us, every generation, would have a good understanding of why Jesus spoke in parables. Before we actually get into the parables in this gospel, or deeper into these uh, teaching through parables, Matthew wanted us to know why it was that Jesus was speaking in parables. The disciples asked this question. 
not because they had never heard a parable before. They knew what a parable was. They asked this question because they wanted to know why Jesus had chosen this particular form of teaching and why he chose to use it so pervasively at this point. And so from the perspective of the disciples, they had seen and heard Jesus preach and teach in a clear and direct manner. That is what they were used to up until this point. You might think of the Sermon on the Mount as very easy to understand, very direct teaching there. Now he begins to teach in parables, using symbols in his lessons. Jesus' answer to them is to their question about why the parables, his answer to them is essentially a beatitude. It was a beatitude for them, and it's a beatitude for us who have faith. It is a blessing for us to hear this, to know this, to understand what Jesus is saying here. His answer to this question reveals a tremendous blessing that we as Christians are in possession of. Verse 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. It is a gift given to you by God to know these things. Then later he says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so we are blessed in this way. You are blessed to be given knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, to be given insight into what the kingdom is about and indeed made part of this eternal kingdom. Now Jesus, of course, was primarily talking about spiritual seeing and spiritual hearing. Blessed are you for you have eyes to see and ears to hear. This is spiritual seeing and spiritual hearing. To put it simply, his disciples, in contrast to the Jewish crowds, for the most part, had been given faith. That's about as simple as you can put it. The Jewish crowds, for the most part, did not believe. They were dull in understanding, as we see in this passage. But his disciples believed. They were given faith. That is part of what faith is, friends. It's the ability to see the glory of Christ and his kingdom, to hear his words and obey them, to understand them and respond with obedience. That is part of what it means to have living faith. We see this idea of seeing and hearing as pertaining to faith in the quote from Isaiah in this passage. You will indeed hear but never understand. You will see but never perceive. This people's heart has grown dull. So you see there, it's not just a matter of physical seeing and physical hearing. The Jewish crowds could do that. It's a matter of the heart, perceiving with the heart, understanding with the heart. And so again, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of one's heart, whether one truly understands the message of the gospel and believes and is changed by it. What we see then in these verses that Jesus began teaching in parables to further divide the people into two groups. That is what the purpose of the parables was for. We see that here. On the one side, you have the disciples who have faith. Now, they're not the only ones, but for the most part, they were. There were very few who heard and received the message of Christ coming from the large Jewish crowds. The disciples have faith. The secrets of the kingdom had been revealed to them. 
Remember back in chapter 11, Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. This is what God had done with his disciples and, of course, with others who truly believed in Christ and responded to his message in faith. He essentially says the same thing here. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And so for one group, his disciples, believers, at this time, they have been given faith. They have been given saving faith in Christ. The mysteries of the kingdom and the glory of Christ is truly seen by them. They hear and believe. They understand. They perceive with their hearts. Their hearts are not dull. Now, of course, even on this side, not all of them had true faith. You might think of Judas Iscariot. But for the most part, these disciples believed. Their hearts were soft. This was good soil that the word landed on. They received his words and they follow him. So for them, because of their humility, produced from God-given faith, this group will receive further instruction. They will get more. This group of people who believe, these disciples. The parables then for them, as it does for us this evening, and as we go through the parables in Matthew, the parables serve for them and for us as a means for gaining more insight, more knowledge about Christ and his kingdom. That's what Jesus says here. One who has more will be given. The disciples had received teaching from Jesus' direct teaching. Now in the parables, though it's cloaked somewhat in symbols, the, the, the essence of what he's saying, nevertheless, they will learn. They will see more. They will learn more. To one who has more will be given. So that's one group, the group who has faith. For the other group, the Jewish crowds, for the most part, the people on the shore, because of their unbelief, they would be further shut out from seeing and hearing and understanding what Jesus was really talking about. And so a further division would be made. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Do you see that further dividing that Jesus is doing here? And so also the quote from Isaiah, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. It's a further hardening on the part of these unbelieving crowds of Jews by way of the parables. These unbelieving Jews, by, through the parables, through means of the parables, would become even more blinded and even more deafened to the things of God. That's This is a sad statement on Jesus' own people, but nevertheless, that was the case. To put it simply, then, the parables were a form of judgment against the unbelief of the Jews. For them, for the unbelieving Jews, it's as if Jesus began using a secret code that only his disciples knew the key to. They were the only ones who had the key to unlocking the code. This is essentially what is happening here. The people, the Jewish crowds, for the most part, they they don't get it. They don't understand. And they don't want to get it. And so Jesus begins to speak to them in parables to make that even clearer. The first thing I would like us to see here is that Jesus emphasizes the responsibility of the Jews for not believing. 
Jesus repeatedly says they see and hear. In other words, they have all the resources available to them to truly see and to truly hear. They're not blind. They're not deaf. They have the Son of God in the flesh right in front of them, speaking clearly to them. They have all the resources necessary to believe. But their hearts are dull. The miracles they had heard, they had seen, they had heard Jesus' clear preaching, but because of dullness of heart, which is their responsibility, their sin, they willingly shut their eyes to the truth. They refused to be healed of the sin, even though God graciously offered them salvation in the gospel. He's offering it to them. The Lord, as we see in Isaiah, in the Isaiah quote, stood ever ready to heal them. He says, lest I would heal them. That's the offer in his word, in the gospel, to come and be healed of your stubbornness, to be healed of your dullness of heart, to be healed of the pollution of sin, the corruption of sin and slavery to sin. But they would not. And so the fault does not lie with Jesus. It does not lie with his message. It falls upon the unbelieving crowds and their hardness of heart. Jesus is ready and willing to heal any and all who would repent of their sin and come to him by faith. This is who Jesus is. This is the heart of God himself. All who are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. This was the message of Jesus. So he welcomes any and all to himself to find rest, to find healing. But these Jewish crowds, they would not. So this judgment of speaking in parables to further harden them, to further confuse these Jewish crowds, it was a just judgment. It was a just judgment of God, a just judgment of Jesus Christ. Why the parables, Jesus? They don't believe. And so they receive a further hardening, a further confusion. The same thing happened in Isaiah's day. Isaiah was sent to preach to Israelites who were rebellious and were unbelieving. And the Lord told Isaiah as he sent him on this preaching mission, he said to him, they will hear you. This quote, of course, is from the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. And at that time, God told Isaiah, they will hear you, they will see you, but they will not believe. They won't understand. They'll reject your message. It's not a very promising job description for Isaiah. Not a very hopeful outlook for his ministry, but that was the case. So the first thing is that these Jewish crowds are responsible. They see and hear. They have the ability to understand. They have all the resources necessary to follow Christ. They just refuse to do so. The second thing is this. What are the secrets of the kingdom of heaven? What did the disciples know that the others didn't? What was given to them but was kept from other people? And what does this mean for us today? Well, we see these questions answered in the fact that Jesus says the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And also in the fact that Jesus talks about those Old Testament figures, those prophets and the righteous people. That is, people who had faith in God's promises. These are the righteous people he's referring to. People who truly were longing to see the Messiah. Who believed in God's promises. Believed in his promise to, to save his people. To give them full redemption in a king. A son of David. 
These people did not experience the coming of the kingdom. They lived, they died, and they never saw it. They never experienced it. We're speaking of here Old Testament saints. Isaiah, Joshua, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All all the Old Testament saints. They were all looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And with his coming, the ushering in of the Messianic age. the, The golden age of the Messiah. The age of redemption. That is what they were looking forward to. They wanted to see it. To experience it. To hear it. To feel it. And they didn't. They lived. They died. They never experienced the coming of the Christ. They longed to see it. They longed to experience its reality, but they did not. They all died not having seen the promises concerning the kingdom fulfilled in their lifetime. But to the disciples, Jesus says, you have. You have experienced this. You are experiencing this. Now, why could Jesus say this? Because his disciples were literally looking at and hearing that promised king, the promised king of Israel. He was speaking to them. He was standing in front of them. He ate with them. He dined with them. He spoke with them. He walked with them. He eventually died before them. He was dragged away to be crucified. But he's here in the flesh, Jesus the Christ. Just a few chapters in Isaiah after the verse that's quoted here. If you go back to that book, Isaiah preached about a son that would be born to Israel. We're approaching Christmas time, and usually this is one of the verses that is quoted around this time. Isaiah said of that son that he would be called Mighty God, Prince of Peace, and that he would sit on the throne of David and rule over his kingdom forever. In other words, with the coming of Jesus physically into the world, and by his death and resurrection, the kingdom of heaven had come. And Jesus said so. He said it very directly. The kingdom is upon you. Repent and believe. John the Baptist said it very directly. The kingdom has come near. Not because of what I'm doing or what necessarily what I'm saying, but because of him. Because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who is mightier than me. It has come. It has been realized in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made man. The kingdom of heaven has come near. This truth is called a mystery, or it's called a secret. That's part of the truth that we know, you and I, and the disciples saw and experienced. It's this, this truth is called a mystery or a secret because it's a truth that can only be seen and understood by faith. It's the only way you can understand what I just said is by faith in Christ. It's the only way you can understand what it means and actually be changed by that truth. It is a spiritual reality, the secrets of which are only known by those who trust in Christ. Now for us this evening, we would do well to remember this. The kingdom of heaven has come, and it continues to come with the arrival of Jesus on earth. It has come and it continues to advance in the world. We pray every week. Some of us, perhaps daily, your kingdom come. It has come and it's still coming. It's advancing. 
But the nature of this kingdom of heaven that still advances is largely invisible to the physical eye. We don't see it advancing like you might see an earthly kingdom advance. You can't see it like that because that's not the type of kingdom we're in. We're in a heavenly kingdom, one that's governed by the king of heaven, one that came down from heaven, that is created by heaven and is progressed by heaven. No, we perceive it by faith. It is a kingdom that is advanced by the means that God has given us. Not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit. That's how the kingdom is advanced. So what, what is that? What are the means then? The preaching of the gospel, administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, through prayer and humble obedience. That is how the kingdom is advanced. That is where we see the kingdom of heaven advance. As dull hearts are softened, as people believe, we see it. As the church is built up in faith, as people are drawn to Jesus Christ, as, as the saints are lifted up, lifted up in the faith and in love, we see it. As our children grow and understand more about the faith and become obedient servants themselves, that is where the kingdom advances. That is where we see it. As they grow in wisdom and love for the Lord. Now this is hard for us, friends. Because we see physically with our eyes and we hear with our physical ears what? What do we actually see and hear mostly as created individuals made in the image of God on this side of the resurrection? Well, we see and hear about increasing violence in the world, increasing wickedness in our nation, increasing wickedness in the nations of the world. And so we we hear and see these things, and we might, be, we might be tempted to use force, to use coercion like them, like the kingdoms of the world, and say, we need to push back with their same weapons. We need to push back with the same type of force that they use and make our presence felt. But friends, that is not part of the secrets that we have been given. That is not how the kingdom of heaven is advanced. That is not how it came in the first place. It came through a crucified Savior, a crucified King. It's not how it's advanced today. The kingdom of heaven, friends, is advanced by lowliness, by humility, by praying for our enemies, not seeking to subject them with force, by submission, by washing one another's feet, by taking up our cross every single day. That's how the kingdom of heaven is advanced. Why? Because that's what the king of this kingdom did. That's exactly how he established this kingdom. He died for us. He was low. He was humble. He prayed for us. He submitted to his Father's will. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear.